This week's podcast brought to you by Poutine. Every day on the way to and from school, we drive past a parking lot that now has hand-painted signs, one of which says in and the other of which says exit. And the other day, driving by, our oldest daughter said, come on, it's either in and out or enter and exit. And before I pulled over to quietly weep uh, with, with pride, I realized that in my old age, my rapidly approaching old age, she will be silently correcting my grammar. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. You came back from the grocery this morning. You did the grocery shopping. You unloaded the groceries. You unpacked the groceries in the kitchen. And that's when my job kicks in. I have to take the stuff that doesn't fit in the kitchen into the basement. And should I have been insulted when you told me that the milk goes in the fridge downstairs, the frozen pizza goes in the freezer, and the cereal goes in the pantry? Um, no. And, and, and although I could tell that you got a little bit annoyed when I said that to you, but in all fairness... You do need those kind of directions. And sometimes there might be a loaf of bread that is supposed to go to the basement and you won't know unless I tell you whether it's supposed to go in the refrigerator or in the freezer. And in fairness to you, I did put the cereal in the freezer and the milk in the pantry. Well, we have been known to find uh, a lost phone of yours or a cordless phone in the pantry. If anybody's listened to the podcast, they know that... uh, what did you, oh, the syrup you misplaced in, in the, the part of the cabinet where the bowls go. So I think it's a very fair thing for me to ask for I, you to do. I'm pretty sure that I read somewhere that if you put your car keys in the freezer, you'll get better engine performance or something. Yeah, like right. That. Maybe, that's, maybe that's where they are at the state capitol. They're in the freezer at the state capitol. Perhaps, capitol. but a little bit of this has rubbed off on you this week, so it's not all me. Uh, this is a something that happens very, very rarely to me. But we, with with increasing frequency. No. Well, yes, because it's the first time. But one of our, our friends asked us if I would sign a basketball for a fundraiser. And they dropped the ball off at our house when I wasn't here. And then the next day, I signed the basketball. I drove to their neighborhood. I've been to their house two other times and um, drove down the driveway, put the ball behind their garage, kind of out of view. And left. And so later that night, they I got a text and it said, by any chance, did you drop the ball off? And I said, yes, I did. It's behind the garage near the door. And then the response was, are you sure you dropped it off at number, whatever their number is? And I said, yes, I'm sure. Although I didn't know what number their house was. I just went to the house that I remembered. And then offline, you and I had a conversation about what kind of sicko would steal a basketball right. off well, somebody's deck. And then and then our, our friend said, well, you know, we, there are people here to mow the lawn, so I'll ask them if they know what happened to it. And eventually, uh, maybe an hour later, I just got a text that said, we found the ball at the next door neighbor's house. <laughs> so I, I brought the ball to the wrong house, even though the house, to me, looked exactly like the house I had been to the two other times. And that is completely a thing you would do. But I was just relieved and happy that they found the ball. And um, I will know not <laughs> I do <laughs> to hope... always make sure to, to check the number on the mailbox. I do hope they only found the ball after angrily confronting the guy who cut the lawn. Right, exactly. Accusing him of stealing a Rebecca Lobo signed basketball. Well, that's the reason I knew it would be safe because, you know, there's no one who's going to steal that. Maybe they would steal a brand new basketball that had no signature on it because they could then just, you know, dribble it around the driveway that at least has a 15 or $20 value. I was quite confident that no one would have intentionally stolen a ball signed by me. There must be a, a, a Christmas morning like thrill and and corresponding disappointment for those people who steal packages off people's porches. Right, right. Where, where oh, it's a wrapped the package. They don't know. In this case, it was a ball that was it was just in a box. You right. could see it was a basketball. Right. But at the holidays or whenever, if you steal a 
parcel off somebody's front doorstep. You don't know what you're getting. It could be the replacement it part could, for their furnace. It could be an air furnace. filter. We have we had our air filters d- delivered. Or yes. it could be you know an Xbox, and you just don't know. Right. That that is true. Speaking of basketball and uh, a brain uh, freeze. Uh, freeze. Thank you. Since you're just having one. I was just having one. <laughs> I couldn't think of the phrase for brain freeze. Um, no, brain freeze is when you eat ice cream too fast, right? Yeah, but I just didn't want to say right, the, the other, other thing. One. I yeah. understand. So uh, Denny, with one N, has asked us our thoughts on the great basketball brain freeze of this past week. J.R. Smith not knowing that game one of the NBA Finals was tied, trying to dribble out the clock when, in fact, uh, he thought they were in the lead. And we've all been there. Well, not exactly right there, but no, of course, we, I mean, we've, we've, we've all been all playing the Warriors moments. in the NBA right. Finals in front of millions of people. Perhaps not. Wait a minute. I guess I guess you have been there in, in, a, in a championship basketball game. I have not. It just I just remember that I haven't been there. Well, we've all had our moments, though, where we have just done something that was not the smartest thing to do in a big moment and something that's regrettable. I was not able to watch the game live because I was flying out to Minneapolis to to do the uh, Sparks-Minnesota game, and my flight was delayed considerably. And so by the time I landed, everything had had happened, and I got back to my hotel. It was late at night, and I was watching SportsCenter, watching Scott Van Pelt and the post-game press conferences that were being broadcast live and and some other things. And and so that's how I was learning about what happened. And as I was watching one of the post-game press conferences, it was with Steph Curry and Draymond Green, and they were asked about JR saying that he knew that the game was tied. And Draymond got this, you know, made this kind of face, and there was this uproarious laughter from the, the, the members of the media. You couldn't see any of them because the camera was completely on Steph Curry and Draymond Green, but all of the media members just like guffawing, laughing. And I don't know why, but it really, really bothered me. And it it just made me think, like, is this what we're teaching, you know, kids to do? If somebody makes a mistake, granted, this was a big mistake made by a grown man who's been being paid millions of dollars. I understand all of that. But the reaction in that room, in the press conference, by the members of the media. Led by Green, though. Yes, yes. Absolutely led by Green. And all the, you know, he continued to make these faces over and over. But it just ticked me off. Like, it just, I didn't find it to be an appropriate an appropriate response. Yes, I get it. You need to write about it. I understand it's a story. Uh, you know, you maybe you laugh a little bit at first when Draymond makes the face because that's your natural reaction. But to kind of keep going on and on in a, in a way that was ridiculing J.R. Smith and for there, some reason bothered me. There is a phenomenon. I've been in many of these press conferences where there's a sort of a group toadying mentality that happens if somebody says something at the podium that is supposed to be funny there's a, a over laughter that's uh, out of proportion to whatever was said and that was the case there and uh anyway, said i just that, i didn't that, like it have you ever to answer denny's question have you ever committed such a brain freeze have you ever uh, been part of one have you do you remember one witnessing one that was egregious i know when I was covering baseball as a rookie baseball writer, I was sent to Cleveland in the last days of Municipal Stadium, 80,000 seats with about 300 people at the game. The Indians were terrible, and I was charged with writing a story about how terrible the Indians were. And you can imagine how much they want to cooperate with you when right. that's your assignment. And they had a new manager, Mike Hargrove, and I was cover- one of the games I was there to cover, they lost. And I don't remember if it was the go-ahead run, the winning run, but it was certainly resulted in, in a run scored. There was a fly ball to center field. I can't remember if Kenny Lofton was the center fielder or not, but the center fielder for the Indians caught it, put his head down, ran in, thinking there were three outs. There were only two in a run scored. And after the game, I had to ask Hargrove about that. And uh, I made the mistake of phrasing the question with, do you ever think you know, what did I get myself into here? And he said, no, of course. I never gave it any thought before I took this job. And he went on a long, angry rant. I was the only one, other one in his office. And as he started to get a head of steam going on this uh, angry response, I reached behind me for my laptop computer that then weighed 16 pounds in a giant plastic case. And instead of grabbing it by the handle, I actually knocked it off the back of his couch and this plastic case shattered into a million pieces. 
I got down on my knees on the carpet and was trying to sweep it up with my hands as he was continuing to yell at me. The PR guy came in to see what the ruckus was all about. And he, it was a disaster, but it all started with that uh, the outfielder thinking there were there were three outs when there were only two. But it actually all started with you not phrasing the question in a way that you wanted to phrase it. Well, no, you know? no, no. Well, not, not really. I mean, I, I mean, I'm... some of it started there. Like if you had if you could go back, I'm sure there are plenty of times and it's a little easier for you in print media versus, you know, when when in electronic media where things are being broadcast live. But there have to have been instances where you look back and think, I didn't quite phrase oh, that question the way I wanted. Always. This interview has gotten off on a really bad start. Frequently. But first of all, there's nothing wrong with phrasing a question poorly in a way that gets a an angry reaction from somebody. My job isn't to to uh, uh, make them feel good about their job or something. I'm never deliberately you, trying to of poke course, the bear. But you, you're not trying to make them feel good. But if you're out somewhere to do a story on someone, especially if it's, you know, not... You're not going into it thinking you want it to be a negative story. You don't want to have one of your first questions be phrased in a way that the reaction is going to be to tick them off. Of course not. You save all of those questions for the very end. For the very when end. When you've already got your notebook full. And and, and, and I understand, too. You I've... speak as if somebody has, at some point, phrased questions badly and, and irritated you. No. I, and I, I know I've phrased questions badly, and I immediately, if I'm talking to someone, I immediately see their reaction and think, I didn't. That didn't quite come out the way I wanted it to. You really but, blew it tonight. What were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, but I also understand. I mean, I've had enough teammates. There are some teammates that have no problem remembering plays or teammates who have no problem when you're in a huddle in a timeout and the coach draws up something completely new. They have no problem then going out on the court and doing it. But there are others who do. There, are, I, I, I can distinctly remember being on a team and the coach drew up a play in the huddle and the person inbounding passed to the wrong to, to the to the wrong person initially so the whole play was destroyed they didn't do it intentionally maybe i don't know maybe they weren't paying attention in the huddle maybe they didn't have the capacity to have the attention span i don't know what it was but then to the thought that that person was then going to be completely ridiculed is something that that bothers me. Well, that makes you a good teammate too, sticking up for, for uh, your teammates. And, and LeBron put on a good face after the game in, in uh, defending his teammates. Not he didn't yeah. put on such a good face in, it in the moment. Happy Understandably, face, no, it wasn't. But happy it was face. the appropriate. And face. there's video today of the time of the uh, the intermission between uh, regulation and overtime when he asked Tyron Lue how many timeouts we had. He said we did have a timeout, and he puts a, a cloth over his face, and his frustration was understandable. Let me ask you this. When I was playing high school basketball and high school football, do you think I was one of those players who uh, followed plays? No, there's uh, followed no instructions? chance you were. There's You're no absolutely you were. right. I was terrible. I couldn't understand offensive schemes. I couldn't understand simple inbound plays. I couldn't, my brain couldn't process. I think uh, that's about probably more about your ability to listen, though. You know, because if somebody, if you really had to, to, get out there and do something and you really nope. focused on it, I think you could. Or is your brain just not work I think a lot way. of his spatial relations and, and it's like packing a car trunk, a lot of these plays. Right. And therefore, well, that's, the thing that's, that's when I decided that I would be better off second guessing the people right. who do understand these things. <laughs> well, that's the thing that's interesting because, I again, with playing with teams, it wasn't necessarily players who, who couldn't remember that stuff or couldn't translate it you know, from a huddle. It's not teammates of mine that I would say weren't intelligent people. They were intelligent people, and well, they and they were smart people. They just hadn't had a difficulty translating that. And one of the reasons I know that you probably weren't good at that is just when I ask you to do something. Again, I think that's more probably you tuning me out. But if I ask you to do something and and you just forget, and I, and I'll give a, a little example. It's happened a bunch of times. Like I'll throw a load of laundry in the washing machine and then I have to leave before it's finished. And I'll just say to you, can you please, when the laundry is done, put it in the dryer? Because anybody knows that if clothes have been laundered and sit for a few hours, they then get they stink and you have to launder them again. It defeats the purpose of laundering. And almost every time I ask you to do that, I get home and the clothes are still wet and in the washing but, machine. And then I have to like, okay, I've got to wash them again and hope the stink comes out because sometimes it doesn't and then put them in the dryer. But if I may. You may. <laughs> I, have, I have heard you when you have said, please put the clothes in the dryer. Then 45 minutes passes while the clothes are in the dryer. And by the time... The dryer cycle is finished. I've forgotten now. 
I'm preoccupied with something else. Well, see, you, you, you've already had an inability because I'm talking about them being in the washer and then you having to put them in the dryer. You're talking now oh, about them oh, being in the dryer. Yes, no. <laughs> so close, don't so stink if you leave them in the dryer too long. No, it's totally <laughs> fine to leave them in the dryer. They get wrinkly, <laughs> but you can, you can just iron that out. No, they don't stink. So perhaps see, this I've, is what I'm uh, dealing with I've, here. I'm not making my own point very well. No, but perhaps you can second guess yourself yes, for the point. But you when make. you say when you say put them from the washer into the dryer, yes, and the washing cycle goes on for another forty-five minutes, then I've yes. forgotten. Yes, and, but if it helps any, six or seven hours later, when I remember, I get I get into a panic. <laughs> I take them out of the washer. I give them a quick sniff. You know what you don't. What, but I, I, what you I, do, my sense of smell has, has been dulled by dog allergies. Cause, no, because I'll know this has happened. If, if Say I'm going to be on for the day. I know when you have forgotten because then when I get the clothes out of the dryer, they reek. So I know that they were left in the washer for a long time and you didn't rewash them. You just threw them in the dryer. And now we have stinky, like clean looking, but very stinky clothes. <laughs> I'm sorry. And and those are the times when I rewash everyone's except for yours. And I just let yours stink. <laughs> and you know what? I don't mind. You don't notice and you don't mind. Well, that was the other day. I actually took video, video of this that I'm going to post on our Twitter account, which is Ball and Chain Pod, or on our Instagram account, which is Ball and Chain Podcast. Because I walked in and you had made the bed sort of. Like it looked like it was made, but there was a giant lump in the middle of the bed and sometimes you do this sometimes you consider making the bed pulling the comforter up and leaving the sheet at the foot of the bed but I, that but that wasn't the case this i made time. it with one of our children still in it was that <laughs> yeah pretty much i went in and i was like okay that's not just a sheet so i peel back the the comforter and that you had pulled the sheet up so i peel back the sheet and what it was was the mattress pad underneath the fitted sheet had come off so it was this big like mountain in the middle of all the bed. four corners had come off and it then <laughs> two of the snapped corners, into the center two of the corners had but like don't you notice that when you're making the bed and all of a sudden there's just a big lump in it this is, don't this you is... consider figuring out what's going on there and smoothing it out and putting the mattress pad back on or pulling the sheet up before you pull the comforter up this is a, an example of, of no two good deeds going unpunished because not only had i made the bed i had made the bed Strictly to give me a flat surface on which to fold clothes, fold laundry. <laughs> but the, but they they weren't. It wasn't a flat surface. I mean, I, I'm just curious. Do you see this and think, I don't know what that is. I'm not, I can't see it. I can't see what the problem is. So I'll just ignore it. Or do you not even see it? Or do you just not even care? I I care, but sometimes uh, I have to make uh, a time management decisions. Is my time going did to be you better know, served? Did you know clock and score in that situation? In the J.R. Smith situation? Time and, yes. Do you want me to be perfectly honest? No, no, I'm talking about in ma making the bed situation. In making this, but in the J.R. Smith situation, yes. I knew intellectually that the Cavs, that the game was tied. Yes. But when J.R. Smith went to kill the clock, I thought, I must be wrong. They must be up one. Maybe the bug which shows the score, the ESPN bug was wrong. Was that your thought? No, or? I wasn't really looking at the bug in the heat of the moment. But, right. But in the heat of the moment when I was making the bed and there was a, a large mass in the center of it, I had to ask myself, would my time be better served remaking the bed, at least a 90-second process, or going to get the laundry and starting to fold it on this relatively flat surface? The laundry that hopefully wasn't stinky for being in the dryer for too long. <laughs> One of the reasons that I needed to fold laundry was I was down to one of my last T-shirts. You and I were going for a run the other day, ready to play Bike Path Bingo. And I feared that I was one of the characters in Bike Path Bingo. I'm not sure which one, but I was down to my last couple of T-shirts. And as a last resort, and you can back me up on this, as a last resort, I wore a T-shirt. That was a, my Christmas present That was your you. Christmas present. A lovely Christmas present, but not one that I am inclined to actually wear outside of the house. Well, it was sort of a jokey Christmas present. Last Christmas, I got for every member of your, of your family these, I don't even know what color green it would be considered, almost. Lime sherbet. Yeah, perfect. With the picture of the cover of your book, Stingray Afternoons, as an iron-on to look like 
the 19 a shirt from you get in the 1970s on the front on the entire front of the shirt so my name on the cover of the book yeah yeah so stingray afternoons by steve russian it's the cover of the book it's iron on it's on this lime sherbet colored shirt so that is the shirt that so was left in your drawer yes fine we're running on a remote bike path we might run past a couple of people it's not going to matter as we're as we start our run we're not 200 yards into this run a guy goes past on a bike yes and says i wasn't going to say anything but i really enjoyed the pint man which is another book that i had written yes but the only way he would have said anything is because he saw i wasn't going to say anything what he left unspoken was but since this giant (laughs) d-bag dillweed is wearing a picture of his own book on his shirt I may as well say something. This guy is clearly beyond embarrassment or shame. Oh, it was perfect. And um, actually, that, that day as we were running, we passed our, our friend, the uh, the 70-year-old shirtless bike rider, who I saw a, a day or two later, And but it was a, it was a cooler day, and um, he was wearing a pink sweatshirt. So f- he was not shirtless when, when the weather wasn't super warm. Now that you mention this, I was at our son's Little League baseball game last night, three hours, and while I was there, our seven-year-old daughter was playing on the playground about 300 yards away. And on that play, next to that playground are two basketball courts. And it was a beautiful night last night, so it was packed. There were 30 or 40 kids on the playground and another 20 or 30 people playing pickup basketball. And when I mentioned this to you, when you got back from our daughter's softball game, I said there were you know two full-court basketball games going on with 20 or 30 people uh, playing or waiting to play and our daughter said and three of the guys weren't wearing shirts <laughs> and she clearly found that disturbing yes well as she should i'm glad she found it disturbing let me ask you this because i didn't have a chance to last night during the game did we, we have the phenomenon that we've seen recently in youth sports where adults kind of scold or yell at kids but not directly to them because we had our our daughter our older daughter had a softball game last night and at one point the third base coach for the other team was there was a runner on third and she took a big lead and you know the pitch came in and our catcher caught it and the runner at third just stayed in her lead and didn't go back to her base so so as our catcher's pretending like she's gonna you know throw to uh to the third baseman the third base coach was saying something along the lines of uh she's not gonna throw it or something talking clearly the message was to the kid but it's... speaking to someone else and and it happened in in basketball this past week in an AAU where there's a really good player on our daughter's team who's left-handed and she's very left-handed most kids are very right-handed at this age and she's very left-handed and uh and the opposing coach you were telling me I wasn't there the opposing coach Every time she would dribble by and our team was winning and uh, had a lot to do with this particular player. So the opposing coach, every time she would dribble by, would say, ostensibly yelling at her own kids, but really yelling at our kid. She can only go left. She can only go left. She can only go left. Make her go right. And said this repeatedly in in as obnoxious a way as possible. And, And so how do you handle that if you're the coach? Well... What you do is you wait for a free throw or you pull one of your kids over and you say, that girl, make her go right. We have to force that kid to go right. But you don't yell it in a way that you're actually just yelling at a 12-year-old. It's just not the the way you do it. And uh, we've seen it quite a bit in, in youth sports. So uh, so anyway, that's that was fun. I'm, I'm assuming that did not happen in our son's baseball game. Oh, no, it happened. <laughs> it happens in every youth sports game. Somebody on the other side, I don't know if it was a parent or who, our kids got caught stealing twice in that game, which is unusual in, in these little league games. It's hard to uh, throw a runner out stealing second. But they had a, they had a really good team, and they, throw, they threw two kids out at second base. And the second time, somebody from the other side yelled something along the lines of, you better stop challenging our catcher. <laughs> and I just thought, who are you talking to? Are you talking are to nine-year-olds? Yeah, I mean, are you talking to the nine-year-old who's who's stealing second as his coach tells him to? Right. Are you talking to the other coach? Uh, you know, I mean, give me a break. Right. <laughs> 
I mentioned that I missed NBA Finals Game 2 because our flight was delayed. And um, when I got to the airport, I, I was flying out on the same flight with Pam Ward. She was the play-by-play for that game. And she told me that she had been upgraded. But she had been upgraded to row one, which means she had the um, bulkhead the bulkhead in front of her. No leg and, room. Yeah. But, I mean, she's not tall as tall as me obviously so it's the legroom wasn't as big of a deal but she was debating whether or not she wanted to go back to her delta comfort seat where she would have more legroom still be able to have her bag at her feet and she said this is this is a more offensive subset of first world problems this is first class problems." right right exactly but the, the the reason i'm telling this story is because it gets funny so she said to me if there's a meal they have these really delicious cookies that they give she's like i'm not all that interested in the meal but I would like one of the one of the cookies. So she goes up to the to the gate agent, asks, "Is there a meal on this flight?" Yes, there's a meal on this flight. So Pam comes back and says to me, "All right, I'm gonna keep my first class seat because there's a meal on the flight, and that way I'll get the cookie." So we get on the plane. The plane comes in late. They get the people off. We get on the plane. We sit down. Everyone gets their seat. Pam's got her got her bags all above in the overhead bin because she's in the bulkhead. And at that point, the flight attendant said. Our flight was so delayed coming here that we gave the meals to the people on that flight. So I'm sorry to tell you that there's no flight on this. Pl- there's no there's no food on this plane. And so we'll give you a meal voucher for the airport. And I just started laughing. I thought it was the funniest thing. I immediately text Pam because her whole reason for taking the seat was for the meal that we were no longer going to have. And this is the kind of luck that that you would have. This is, you know, that, you, that got, I do you and, have. Yeah, you and Pam have the same kind of karma. But the other thing that she told me as we were walking to the gate was that recently she had uh, one of her credit card numbers was stolen. The, the actual card wasn't stolen, but somebody had gotten the number and was making charges. And she said she noticed before the credit card company even did that there was a fraudulent charge. And, and the charge was somebody had purchased flowers to be delivered um, using her credit card. And so I said, at least you had a thoughtful thief because they used her card to uh, to deliver flowers to someone. So there you go. I don't know if the person who got the flowers is now going to get in trouble or how all of that works. What, what if but... Pam got the flowers? It would be like an O. Henry story right. <laughs> with a twist ending. I just hope that even though she didn't get the meal in first class and she was stuck in the bulkhead, that as, as a consolation prize, when you guys landed late at night in Minneapolis, that my father, who doesn't drive at night, right. picked you up at the airport and took you to the hotel in a terrifying ride. Well, unfortunately, that wasn't true. The China Robinson, who was a sideline reporter for this game, came in from Atlanta. She rented herself a car. And so as a result, I do not have an Uber driver confession because LaChina drove us from the airport to the hotel. And she was the one giving us the update on everything that had happened in the uh, NBA Finals Game 1. <laughs> When I was flying home from Minneapolis, I got on the plane and the Delta flight attendant, by the way, Deltas have started wearing new outfits as of June 1st. They're purple. So you know how Delta always wore, the flight attendants always wore blue and red. Anyone, anyway, people who sure, travel will notice it's Are you sure purple. they're not just wearing the color of the football team in the city of the flight origin? Yes, yes, because uh, that's what Pam said. She was like, I hope this is for the Minnesota Vikings because she, like you, is a huge Vikings fan, a huge Alan Page fan. But anyway, when I got on, I just heard one flight attendant who was not working that flight, was just, uh, is it deadheading when they fly and they're not working, say to, say to another one, didn't I meet you the other night at Trivia? And the, the other flight attendant said, no, I don't think so. And they kept going, and I just thought, this could be the beginning of a variety of novels. Like, is trivia a nightclub? Is trivia, you know, are they out with their church group doing, um, New doing York's a trivia hottest, contest? Like, New what, what exactly ho- is trivia? New York's hottest new nightclub yeah. is trivia. Trivia. <laughs> Couldn't you see totally, that totally completely. being the case? So, uh, so the dangers of eavesdropping on people's conversations is they could go a lot of different ways. Well, from eavesdropping, I, I segue seamlessly into Steve's dropping. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's not what you think. <laughs> Although you did send me a toilet text the other day. And, I, I uh, don't know what that means. but, but. <laughs> you, Wait, you, I text, texted you something. You said, I just got home. I'm texting you from the toilet. And then no, there, no, and no. Then no. There, I said, and then I'm toilet the, texting toilet you. Texting I was texting you. you from the bathroom. But and and the then, then, then there was a uh, dot, dot, dot that came up. And I was just like, 
I need to turn my phone off. I don't know what this dot, dot, dot is well, going I, to be. I think you had texted me and I, I was having to reply to you. But um, no, I was not eavesdropping. I, I was, but I did have my back turned at our local market the other day. I was picking out a variety of vegetables that you had sent me to get. I believe there were bell peppers, possibly some A variety of vegetables. I asked you to get me two peppers and some strawberries and blueberries. Anyway, another customer who was uh, checking out, but again, I had my back turned to her, so I only turned to wave goodbye. I just heard her say, where's the monocle, Steve? <laughs> so I'm now being... What's the word? Uh, monocle heckled? Pe mo monocled. People are, are lamenting my lack of monocle. Well, you should uh, definitely. When I'm out in public. You should just carry it around. Even, you know, when you're wearing your glasses, you should have it in your pocket just for that that instance and you can pull it out. Well, and... especially if I'm at a market like that and I'm inspecting fruit. Right. Pop the monocle in. Perhaps yes. a jeweler's loop. Yes, I think that would be perfect. A monocle and a jeweler's loop might be a little monocle bit Monocle in one eye, jeweler's loop <laughs> in the other. other. Well, when I was at the Minnesota uh, Sparks game, Minnesota Lynx Sparks game, before the game, I was in the back. And uh, and as I was coming out, these two, or maybe it was at halftime, and, and these two women said, we enjoy ball and chain podcast. And they, and they said... Uh, did they say we enjoy ball and chain podcast? Or did they say we enjoy ball and chain? Or did they say we enjoy remember. the podcast? They, they, I'm guessing the only combination that they didn't use was, was that we one. enjoy ball and chain podcast. We also enjoy Gronk. <laughs> we also enjoy WNBA basketball. Yeah. So anyway, they gave me the advice that, because I've talked about on here that I like Bailey's Irish cream. And they said, "You have to. are you a member of Costco? And I said, uh, yes, I am a member of Costco. And they said, does yours have a liquor store? And ours does. I've never been in it, but it does. And they said, you have to try the Costco brand Kirkland's Irish Cream. It tastes better than Bailey's and it's, you know, much cheaper. And then the big question, of How course, much? I, I don't know. The big question, of course, I asked was, do you refrigerate yours? And they said, of course we don't. So good for them. There, there we go. Good for them. They're right. And, and while we're at it, I'm not, we're not going to get into viewer mail yet, but there is a piece of viewer mail that is appropriate here from Robert, who writes, uh, this was at ballandchainpod at gmail.com. Robert writes, having dinner at the Berghoff restaurant in Chicago on Saturday night, my wife instructed me to check out the fellow diner over my left shoulder. Quote, he's bald, wearing a white shirt with billowing sleeves, <laughs> an ascot, and a monocle, exclamation mark. I turned around quickly, expecting to see either Steve or a pirate. Sadly, <laughs> neither of the two. Do you own any white shirts with billowing sleeves? I, I have to get a puffy shirt. Oh, go with a monocle. Yeah, you for sure do. And an ascot. I don't think you own an ascot either. I don't, but I'm, I'm, I'm in the market for an ascot as my aging neck starts to uh, require <laughs> some cover-up. That's a phrase you don't hear often enough. Aging neck. <laughs> the plunging neckline and the plunging neck. <laughs> Before we get to viewer mail, I, I just want to uh, uh, give a shout out to Denny with one N, who once again is not in basement with us. But last week he worked up some magic. Two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, uh, we had the Harles Markley viewer mail theme song. I think Tom, Dick, and Harry are brewing up a, a uh, more adult contemporary viewer mail theme song. Last week, Denny had as the viewer mail theme actual footage or or whatever the the audio equivalent of footage is of david letterman saying these are actual letters from actual viewers are voluminous viewer mail or something well, like that i'm hoping he inserts it right here to get back to you know words Kids, it's time to answer our voluminous viewer mail which has uh, been piling up over the last five or six days and the most frequent of them are so forward You've got mail. You mentioned Harles Markley, and uh, you got a text, right, from your brother who said, I just want to make sure you guys do know that his name is Harry. And yes, we know that in Tom, Dick, and Harry, Harry's name is Harry, but we prefer to call him Harry. And so from now on and from earlier on, it will always be, to us, Harry. And in fact, if I can find it here, we have viewer mail from Harry. And he now signs his name Hari with one R, H-A-R-Y, even though he's Harry with two R's. 
and he mentions that he was running around Lake Harriet. I now think of it as Lake Harriet. There you go. When he was passed by, in mile one, his friend, he was listening to our podcast while doing this. Mile one, his friend Wendy went past. She did say hi. After mile three, another woman dusted me, perhaps literally. I don't know if Hari's referring to. But uh, later, he pressed on, and a bald guy passed him, and it was Tom, my brother, of Tom, Dick, and Hari, passing him on Lake Harriet. He abandoned the podcast, did and Tom's, he and Tom— Did Tom say hello? Oh, they stopped. They and... stopped. and ch- No, they didn't stop. They, they ran together and chatted the rest of the time, thus blowing off Tom, Dick, and—thus blowing off our podcast. Rob, with two Bs— uh, writes, you mentioned uh, last week that people are now sending back to you photographs, posters, um, jerseys. Jerseys. Rob mentions, well, any of those jerseys you get back, I will take any one of them and hang it in my pub in my house. Yes, my man cave is a pub. Oh, wait, I can be the podcast pub pro. That's Rob. In the absence of that, he said he will settle for some swag. That um, reminds me, this past weekend, uh, it's been a while since I've been to the dump. But I went to the dump. I brought our youngest daughter with me because we just had stuff we had to get rid of. They take light bulbs there and batteries and a variety of things. But I also brought this giant picture of myself from my playing days at UConn that somebody had left here for us. I also brought another big picture um, of me that I simply, I mean, I just don't need (laughs) a giant picture of myself laying around the house. We had not, it's not something we could recycle. I I needed to get rid of it. So I brought it to the dump. And when I got there, one of the guys who who works at the dump, um, all of the people who work at our dump have always been very friendly to me and lovely to me. But he, uh, as I was taking it out, he said, why don't you sign and sell that thing? I said, no, I'm just trying to get rid of it. And then he said to me, can I have it? And I said, yeah, of course you can have it. And then he said, and will you sign it? (laughs) So... There is now someone else who has a giant signed picture of me from my Yukon days. Actually, two of these giant poster-like signed things of me that uh, did that. I don't know how long it'll last before they then put them in the in the big giant dumpster. They're not bin. going to put it in the giant dumpster bin. They're going to send it back to us in You're five sure. years. <laughs> It's going to be back on our doorstep. Right. (laughs) If you're lucky, they'll do a U and they'll put it on somebody else's doorstep by accident. Right, exactly. (laughs) They'll go to the wrong house. Rich in charity. Rich, not rich in charity. Rich and charity. Come on. Their names are Rich and Charity? How just perfectly beautiful is that? It's awesome. It's like Big and Rich, the country artist. But they're in in New Hampshire. And uh, in fact, they... um, they are former UConn women's season ticket holders who once saw Rebecca play for the Liberty at a game at the Hartford Civic Center. We are certain she remembers smiling at us during pregame warm-ups. We were the middle-aged couple in UConn gear. <laughs> oh, I remember that one middle-aged couple in UConn gear. <laughs> I think that's their point. So, But they, they interestingly, they, they uh, vacation in the same small town in Maine every year for the last 18 years, and they now get SBOCs, small business owner confessions. They don't use Uber, but they get small business owner confessions. We have gotten friendly with lots of small business owners around town. They all seem to think of us as from away, so they tell us things. One year, two separate people told us they planned to open a bakery the next season to fill a gap in the town. We tried to figure out if we were ethically bound to to tell them of each other's plans. (laughs) If if you may be a resident ethicist, what what do you think about that? I think they should. Then those people could go in business together, be like a Dean and DeLuca or... Any, you know, combination of two groups. We'll have to find out what exactly happened there. How many bakeries are in that town now? On our last trip, a bartender in one restaurant told us he was giving his notice at another restaurant the next night. He asked us not to say anything since they didn't know he was quitting. I hope we haven't given it up at this point. No. Yeah. Well, we didn't give any information at all on that one. So, oh, that's interesting. Small business owner confessions. They're, they're, they're a little less personal than the Uber driver confessions, but nonetheless still very important. Rich and Charity also uh, requested swag. It'll, it'll be on the way. And we have a swag map of the United States, a, uh, a black and white sort of coloring page. And we and now the kids have been coloring, us, coloring in a state each time we send it a fridge magnet or a beer coaster or some combination of the two. And I think we're up to 30-some states, but the kids really want to color in couple of the large states that are remaining you'll have to post it on social we'll post media. the picture yet yeah. so w- social media of course is ball and chain pod which is our twitter handle and then instagram is ball and chain podcast 
Well, let's go to, since you're talking about a bartender, the Irish Husky sent us a tweet. And this person, the Irish Husky, said they were talking to a bartender at the Charlotte restaurant, at the Charlotte airport restaurant, who was pre-mixing margaritas at 6.20 a.m. to prepare for the 10 a.m. rush. The bar, the, the bartender said the bar fills up at 9.50 and they want the margarita in front of them as soon as it's 10 a.m. And they sent a picture of a sign that was in the door that says, due to North Carolina state law, we are unable to sell or serve any alcohol until 10 a.m. on Sundays. We apologize for the inconvenience. So this goes back to our discussion of airport drinking early in the morning. So the bartender at this restaurant premixes margaritas at 6.20 a.m. So he's ready for the 10 a.m. rush. I imagine he also does a, a big, strong business in shots of Jameson's Irish Husky. <laughs> Do you well, have to I refrigerate wonder, that? Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I wonder what the the big morning drinks are. Obviously, a mimosa, obviously a Bloody Mary. I would not have thought of a margarita as a popular 10 a.m. Sunday beverage. Well, uh, Matthew, Matt writes, he's he would like to nominate himself for a podcast, The Resident Restaurant Extraordinaire uh, Expert. He, after a tragic stint as an elementary school teacher, he had previously been a restaurant busser. He worked his way back into the restaurant business. He's Does now, he call it a tragic stint? Like yes, what made it tragic? He's, but Well, he wasn't in the restaurant business, which he was he was born for. Now I'm the GM of, of a very cool beer bar that specializes in burgers and poutine. I live in northern New York, very close to Canada. P.S. And he gives all of his qualifications. Okay, forgive he, me. First, what's poutine? Well, I, you're going to get uh, you're going to get much more mail than than you care for, but it's 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 the uh, the quintessential Canadian Quebec delicacy of French fries, cheese curds, and gravy, brown gravy. Okay, I've never had poutine. I've never even I've never, seen it. I've never, I've never, I've never even seen it, it on a well, on a we'll, menu. We'll somewhere. go to Montreal this summer, and you'll have some. But have he, some he gives poutine. his qualifications, uh, Matt. You you you're overqualified. You've got the job as as resident restaurant uh, expert. But in your PS, you say, I also enjoy a breakfast cocktail and can give you some lovely recipes should you ever choose to start having them. I think we have to do a breakfast show. One of these, we've done pod, we've done uh, Ball and Chain After Dark. We should probably do a peppy, uh, happy morning a- chat thing with, with breakfast cocktails sometime. He enjoyed, but see, I, I need to have somebody on who, or maybe we need to talk to him more about the breakfast cocktail thing because do you... Stop at one? Do you have lots? Is it just yes. on the weekends? No, you, Is it just you, before you're flying? You, you, Is you, it you, you? You stop at one. Okay. P.M. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, Matt adds, it's his it's his fortieth birthday on June nineteenth. So happy fortieth birthday, Matt. Now we will go from one kind of drink to another. Kevin, this is again through Twitter, said he found another location for the fountain drink shot clock. I talked about the fact that in restaurants that you serve yourself the beverage, there needs to be a shot clock because people can be so indecisive. You, and should, said, you should have a limited amount of time at the at the soda fountain bar. Yes. You should also have a limited amount of time at the post office window. There are certain places where get your business done and McDonald's, move on. McDonald's, any fast food place when you're, when you're ordering. Uh, anyway, at a drive-thru. He said he's found another location and he said the hotel lobby breakfast bar. He was at a breakfast bar and two brothers, maybe eight years old, took 24 seconds to start pouring his juice and then he filled it an eighth full before proceeding to sip it. And that's totally something kids do when you're at the hotel breakfast bar. But I think just like in, in youth sports, as you get older the shot clock the amount of time goes down like in high school the 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 glorious states that have shot clocks it's a 30 second shot clock and then the nba wnba for example it's a 24 second shot clock and on our offensive rebound it only resets to 14 seconds so it should be the second time you go up to the to the beverage dispenser of course you have you know half the amount of time that you had the first time you were there so i think this should catch on i like the idea of the Fountain drink shot clock. The, the breakfast bar thing doesn't affect me in the least because, as you know, I have You've no greater uh, uh, phobia of and, and disdain for the hotel breakfast buffet. I can't stand them. Yeah, you don't like buffets of any kind, I don't but like, in particular breakfast I don't buffets. like fighting for food. Yes. I did, it, I did it for 18 years growing up with four siblings, and, uh, and I'm done with it for life. Tanya, our friend Tanya from Troy. Yes. Not Troy from Tanya. Tanya from Troy sends a, a lovely letter in which she mentions that her daughter, Coraline, 
who was two. She has daughters nine and two. And she was going to the regional in Albany that I believe you were at, the NCAA regional this past spring. I was there, spring. yes. And she wonders how we do it with if, if we're solo parenting with four kids out and about, which we do frequently. She's giving her, her difficulty taking her, her toddler out to this regional. And uh, she writes, when Coralyn finally fell asleep during the third quarter of the first game, I thought I'd won the imaginary victory. That was not the case. A 45-minute temper tantrum erupted at the start of the second game. Long story, she, uh, she negotiated with the ushers, ushers to let them move up to the upper level, to worse seats, <laughs> where it would be quieter, away. yes, right. and wonders how we did it. Well, I, I tell you, Tanya, we took our now oldest, well, even then she was our oldest, but then she was our only child, to uh, plenty of loud, packed arenas when she was less than a year old. And how did we do it? It was a disaster. That's how we did it. We really had no choice. And I, and I personally had been chewed out by many fans, both at Fenway Park and at Arco Arena in Sacramento. In Sacramento. During a very loud basketball game, a person tapped me on the shoulder and said, that child, probably 11 months old at the time, should be wearing earplugs. I'm a speech pathologist, and I'll be seeing her in five years for hearing problems because she doesn't have uh, earplugs at this game. And I turned around, played my trump card, and said, you won't be seeing her in five years because we don't live in Sacramento. <laughs> so there. Meanwhile, after, I think you were annoyed at the time that she said that to you, but of course she was right. And uh, in hindsight, we should have had our infant daughter wearing some sort of ear protection when we were at loud arenas like well, Arco Arena. Now, last summer, I had my nine-year-old son at Fenway Park, and we saw, he, he still talks about it. it, was a very hot day, and there was a baby sitting near us wearing only a diaper and Logan Airport caliber runway ready earphone head plug earplug things, you know? So it was yes. just him and ear protector ear protector headphones. Yes. yes. Thank you for that. Ralph in Maryland writes that Nicole Wolf's favorite book in 2003 was The Great Gatsby, according to the Yukon Women's Basketball Media Guide. That inspired Ralph to read it. That's where he gets his book recommendations. <laughs> I found it to be about consequential people doing inconsequential things until the end when three people end up dead. Spoiler for anybody who hasn't read The Great Gatsby, or, or perhaps he's talking about the Yukon Media Guide. I'm not right. sure. You may inspire me, Rebecca, to read some Philip Roth, maybe even some Steve Russian, Ralph writes. Imagine that. Well, I would tell you to start with The Human Stain if you're going to be reading some Philip Roth. And start with any one of Steve Russian's books. Oh, I thought you were say any one of Steve's stains. Yes, right. Doing laundry here. Well, I, I, you talked about the monocle before. We got a, a note on Twitter from Jen, a tweet. Our son announced that he made $50 doing odd jobs for people today. He declared he should go get a monocle and a bushy, bushy mustache. So <laughs> he wants to look like a rich guy with a monocle and a bushy mustache. And that made her think of you with your monocle. I retweeted the, the this. Goal, the goal is to look like the guy on the Monopoly. Exactly. Card, I exactly. I, I retweeted this from Sal, he, um, he, who sent a photo of the battery charger at his Honda dealership. Last week you t or the week before you talked about. It looks like a car battery. Yes. And it has all the plugs coming out, but none of them fit into a device that anyone uses in this decade. And so I retweeted that. So you'll see that out on our Twitter handle and, at Ball and Chain. And let me ask pod. this: Were there any devices connected to those no, chargers? No, because there were there were no, no. chargers that that are compatible with products that were made in the last fifteen years. Am I right? You're right. We got a, a picture also from Kristen. She was playing the game Opinionation. It's either a game or a survey of some kind, but you have to have a team name. Uh, when you play this, and she showed us the card, and they use the name Ball and Chain as their team name. So I hope, uh, Kristen, if there's a winner in this game, I hope it was you. Caro, the dorky diva, asks Rebecca, I assume, what takes longer, unfastening and fastening batting gloves for every pitch, or all the hand slapping, <laughs> or all the hand slapping during free throws? Is it a ritual, or a way to gain time for breathing, or both? How do you feel about the ritual hand slapping, both as a youth basketball coach and as a professional? One of the first things I tell the kids when I'm coaching them is that if they have a teammate at the free throw line, after the teammate takes the first shot, first of two shots, whether they make it or miss it, everyone goes over and gives them five. It's just something that you do. I think it's important. Just like if you have a teammate that falls down and the whistle blows and there's a dead ball, there should be four other kids there with their arms out ready to pick them up. So yes, I, th I think it's a good, important thing. In terms you, of the, the but, batting gloves, that's, that's just a waste of time. But don't you feel as a 
as a player, when you're shooting a free throw, if you're shooting two, you make a free throw. Don't you want the ball back? You don't want to be no, slapping five. No, no, you, that, you that like that becomes a forced part of your ritual. No, you you like having the fives from your teammates because it's it it keeps things consistent. Because even if you miss, you have the consistency and the positive reinforcement that you're gonna be all right the next time. Craig in Fort Lauderdale listens to the podcast at 1.25 times the normal speed. He likes it, but he likes it even better at 1.25 times the normal speed. Everything you say is still intelligible. I'm not sure it is even at normal speed. Uh, and your voices still sound somewhat somewhat normal. In fact, Steve's voice sounds virtually the same, uh, which is a disturbing. I suggest you guys try talking in real life at 1.25 times, which would appear to be the same speed most television dramas and comedies use for dialogue. By the way, Craig the says... Craig des describes himself as longtime listener, first-time correspondent, parentheses, to your podcast. This is not a, actually my inaugural letter. So right. first-time correspondent means <laughs> well, just to our podcast. Let's. Um, I want to go back to the handshake high-five thing for a second. A couple years ago, I, I can't believe I, I don't remember the team, but I was covering a college team, and they actually keep track of how many times – players give each other high fives in practice because they've come to believe that the more times you do that it builds team chemistry and that sort of thing and and so they keep track in practice and there's a goal number that they have to reach of how many times players just in the course of a drill give each other five and what makes me think of it is when I did the game last week Phoenix I'm sorry I've been saying it was LA at Minnesota this past week it was Phoenix at Minnesota no one does that more frequently in practice, in shoot-around, in games, in Diana Taurasi. If she's just running from line to line in a layup drill, she's hitting everybody's hands. If if they're going to get water on the sideline, she's just going up to different teammates and giving them fives. And Diana is, is universally thought of as the best player in the history of the WNBA as of right now. She's the leading scorer in the history of the league, made more threes than anyone in the history of the league. She's just the, the biggest, makes the biggest shots in the biggest moments at every level than anyone we've ever seen. And it's one thing you notice when you see her. She She's talking constantly to her teammates, but constantly giving fives. I really think there's something to that. So that's a really long answer back to Dorky Diva, but it's important stuff. But in terms of Craig's question, you also answered in 1.25 times right. the normal speed. So, <laughs> there you so go. That's good. This is from Carrie. Carrie writes that she travels for work and her suitcase on return is either put on the floor by her bureau or stays in a kind of holding pattern, maybe even until my next trip, if it's coming soon or until I get sick of looking at it. Or I hoist it up on our bed and actually unpack it while my husband complains about all the nastiness on my suitcase and how disgusting it is that I'm putting it on the bed. Quote, can't I at least put a towel down, he says? Honestly, until now, I just thought he was a bit of a germaphobe. I mean, how long can bacteria live on a suitcase? She adds that TSA pre-check, which is, is different from paying to cut the amusement park rides. But the kicker is that Carrie is the wife of West Hartford Matt, who we met at Barnes & Noble last week and she was uh, disappointed that she couldn't be there oh, really? to experience so all of the awkwardness that we did she's one of the people who puts the the bag on the bed see this is another place where you and i are different when i get home from a trip before i go to bed that night i will unpack my suitcase and put the suitcase back in the closet even if i'm going somewhere four days later two days later i, I it's just part of something that for me makes me feel i'm back home whereas you will you know, let it sit, you know, for days and weeks sometimes before you unpack. It. And I actually saw a tweet today and it said, you know, there's two kinds of people, the kind that unpack their suitcase right away and the kind that leave it on the floor for months. But it's good to know that uh, Matt and his wife in West Hartford are opposite in that, just like you and I are. She also attaches a picture from Bradley Airport here in Hartford uh, that I hope she's getting this uh, from Matt for Father's Day. She mentions that she wanted to get him some swag, but we preempted that by setting him swag. The T-shirt reads, say no to pot, and it features a lobster declining to get into a lobster <laughs> pot. That's a New England theme. So. Perfect. I would like to wear that and a monocle in the coming she's days. She's going to wear that while she's, uh, what was the phrase you use? Smokes on spokes. She'll be yes, wearing that yes. shirt while she's doing well, smokes this is, on spokes. Well, this is becoming, you know, we have these little themes on the show. Monocles come up and um, uh, different little thematic storylines that are running through all these podcasts. I think we've developed another one today. I'm going to stumble on her name. It's either Ilana or Lana like Lama with, with an N because can you tell if that's an I and an L or two capital, two lowercase L's? 
Her name is not Lana. I think it's Ilana. Okay. Well, we'll see. But anyway, she would like to apply for the resident Canadian position. She's from Montreal, but lives in New Jersey. She writes the opposite of Michael Farber, Sports Illustrated writer who grew up in New Jersey and now lives in Montreal. My qualif- so, we, so she wants she to be the resident Canadian. But then that would mean she would make us what, well. Protein? She, you're you're getting ahead. You're oh, getting okay. ahead of us. Okay. My qualifications include: I have an often misspelled and mispronounced name, as we've just proven. I had my own Uber driver confession while working in Iowa. He complained about moving from South Carolina to Iowa for a woman, even though his mother told him not to, and now he was in a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I feel Steve silently correcting my grammar. That's one of her resume items. Oh, there you go. As well she should. I, like Rebecca, still use AOL. I can explain the pitfalls of socialized medicine, why Montreal bagels are superior to New York style, a bunch of curling terms, and the differences between the rest of Canada and the province of Quebec. Most importantly, I'm willing to apologize whenever I'm called upon for Steve. Full disclosure, I do not like poutine. Prefer corned beef over Montreal smoked meat, and my favorite hockey team is the Detroit Red Wings. I hope this doesn't disqualify me. Does does Poutine, uh, her disdain for poutine, disqualify her? As our resident, resident Canadian. Canadian. See, I need, to, I need to see more resumes no, from no, people no, who no. want to be she, our resident she, Canadian. First in, she, she's, she's got the job. What if Michael Farber sends us an email and says he bad. wants to be our resident Canadian? He's, he's, he can be the resident guy who moved from New Jersey to Montreal. She did the opposite. But if she can at least explain to us more about poutine, even though she doesn't like it, she's got the job. Our old friend... Dr. Gary Siegel, our oh, resident, did we get our original, from our original, he's our original resident, original staffer. He writes, Rebecca, your idea of taking pictures of the children's older artwork is a brilliant one. When we downsized a few months ago, we threw away so many things that, as well as tiny weathered and we, we threw so many things like that away, as well as tiny weathered and broken sports equipment and tiny pink rollerblades that used to belong to a now 31 year old married woman. It was gut wrenching. As you can imagine, as you may recall, we have a son, 34, and a daughter, 31. I've taken the liberty of attaching a couple of things that I found during our move, both of which were donated to charity. And he attaches a pair of, what would you say, infant-sized Reeboks that are branded Weeboks. I remember those. Yeah, and, that's from the late 90s. And a tiny pair of, of hilarious infant-sized bass Weegens. For the for the infant who's wearing penny loafers to a uh, to an event. <laughs> oh, they held on to those shoes for that long. Well, somebody bested bested me and sent uh, an idea. They say not only do they take pictures of their kids' artwork, but they have their child in the picture. So their nine year old or you know probably smaller, a five year old in the picture with her artwork before they then get rid of the artwork and presumably keep the child and then you know when they're six they they're they have the artwork in front of them so i think that's a pretty cool idea so then too if you have multiple children you remember whose artwork was whose not to bum people out as we near the end of this podcast but when i see these tiny shoes it just makes me think of the contest this may be apocryphal but uh, the contest 100 years ago to write a a novel in six words and the winning entry allegedly i think was hemingway's which was for sale baby shoes never worn yeah, just, that's just heart-wrenching. It is heart-wrenching. Less heart-wrenching, Jenny writes, unsolicited advice for you as parents, keep your kids' cell phone free as long as possible. Well, that's going to end this coming week when our daughter graduates from eighth grade and becomes the last person of her graduating class to get a cell phone. Yeah, but, we've, we've promised the other kids all along that when they, when they graduate eighth grade, because they'll be going off to high school and probably need one, that they will, they will then get a cell phone. It doesn't mean they get social media, but they do get a cell the phone. The reason she writes that is she, you mentioned in a podcast the last couple of weeks that you had an Uber driver in Minneapolis who didn't know what Bloomington was, where Bloomington was, Correct. if Bloomington was. Needed me to have my Waze app on and, the phone so and, we knew where to go. And Jenny asks, Jenny says, smartphones are making us stupid. My 21-year-old never wanted to drive ever. When she was finally forced to get her license, she had never paid attention to where they were going. She was always on her phone as our kids sometimes are on devices in the car. And uh, when she got a license, she did not know how to get home. I repeat, with incredulity, she did not know how to get home. I don't mean to harp on today's youth, but I will. Jenny believes it's possible that if your Uber driver was a 20-something, that he had perhaps never paid attention to where he was going and therefore didn't know where Bloomington was. And this all traces back well, to smartphone Well, I'm assuming her addiction. daughter is not an Uber driver. <laughs> when your job is to know where you're going, you can't really use that as an excuse. And in this particular driver's case, he was not a 20-something. I would say he was a 40-something. And finally, weeks ago, weeks ago, uh, Andy wrote in saying that he was going to his daughter's graduation in Iowa and was going to have time in Minneapolis. Uh, yes. And what should he be doing? We yeah. recommended that he run around Lake Harriet, that we now know as Lake Harriet, 
And uh, Andy writes with a follow-up. My daughter and I did a run around the lake on a gray and cool morning. My wife, not being a runner, walked. It's a wonderful place and so close to downtown. Uh, lists all the other things he did. Como Park Zoo, Japanese Garden, Mill City Museum, Minnehaha Falls, and Fort Snelling. He ends his letter with this. Steve, how do you see yourself presenting the monocle affectation? You could tuck it into the pocket of a gentleman's waistcoat. I really like that idea. <laughs> okay. The pince-nez might be more practical for reading, but maybe not the look you want. One of your listeners had an image of you looking like Mr. Peanut. Perhaps not, though, since Mr. Peanut doesn't wear pants. Now, Andy, Perhaps why... so. What makes him think you wear pants? Why would he assume that I'm always wearing <laughs> pants when I'm wearing the monocle? I don't know. And on that note, Tom, Dick, and Lake Harriet. Play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pad live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts your sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.